Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Commissioner Jim Wright of the Texas Railroad Commission. I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Show Magazine. The cover story is Heidi Gill, the CEO of Urban Solutions. What an amazing company, and she's doing amazing things, her and her company in Colorado. Be sure to visit shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com to read all about Heidi and Urban Solutions. I'd also like to tell you about a new date set for our State of Energy with Shell Magazine 2022 that is coming to the Houston Club downtown on April 21st, starting at 11.30 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, as well as featured moderator, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, Sean Strawbridge. The panelists will include Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior Vice President of Liquid Pipeline for Embridge, and Bruce Fullenweider, the Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets on State of Energy Luncheon in Houston on April 21st, please see, please go to shellmagticketleap.com backslash state of energy. That's shellmag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. And we will see you there. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this segment of in the oil patch radio show hey it's another beautiful day in the oil patch isn't it it is so let's jump into um we've had an interesting week uh to say the least in oil markets uh (laughs) prices have been rising and falling in response to the news related to russia and ukraine once we uh thought it was intimate that they are going to invade now i'm not so sure what do you think what's going on here well, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's like we've had this back and forth between the Russian government and and the Biden administration and the Ukrainian government. And uh, gosh, at one point we we had uh, the president of Ukraine implying that he'd been told that there was going to be an invasion on Wednesday, and that didn't happen. And and you know, markets respond to all of this. I mean, anything okay. like that 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 when you're looking at a potential war. Uh, in Europe or in the Middle East, uh, oil markets are always going to respond to that. And it was just a wild week, up and down, $2 up one day and $2 down the next day. And and I don't know. I mean, where do we go from here? I think, I think uh, nothing has really changed just in terms of the overall dynamics of the market. Um, you just have or you're going to have upwards pressure on prices because supply is short. And uh, towards the end of the week, we got this statement from the Biden administration that they think, uh, you know, another statement uh, in a long line of them, that they think they're close to a deal with Iran that might allow Iran to put another half million barrels a day on the market. And so prices dropped in response to that. But I just think just as just in terms of the overall market, um, this is going to be a year when prices are going to rise, and I just, I, I think we'll still, I still think we're going to be at $100 oil sometime in March, and uh, 
I mean, you know, that may be the floor price for the rest of the year. There's just no telling where it's going to go. Interesting. Let's talk about the, the, the new drilling boom that's occurring here in Texas and elsewhere. Um, there were reports this week that Permian uh, Basin, the drillers, are experiencing shortages on frac sand, and you can't mm -hmm. drill a well without frac sand. It's absolutely necessary. So is it real, first of all? Uh, what happened to the sand, and will it impact uh, or increase production uh, or limit it? Yeah, I, I think it's it's very real, and it's it's a result in part because of the big bust we had in 2020. We had... Uh, one or two of the uh, frac sand mines uh, really go out of business uh, during that bust and they haven't gotten back up and running. Um, and that's creating now you see the rising rig count and, and, and companies starting to drill again because of these higher prices. And uh, these, these frac mines haven't been restarted and they're gonna have to restart. And then we've also have uh, big supply chain issues, just like every other industry in the country, the oil and gas industry, really probably more than any other industry in the country, is heavily reliant on long-haul truckers to, to bring their equipment and their frac sand supply and water supply and all sorts of things. I mean, my gosh, the number of truck trips uh, involved in drilling a single well, it can be in the hundreds, hundreds of trucks needing to bring things to and from locations. And so uh, a lot of that frac sand uh, in the past has been coming down from Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, other parts of the country that have very high quality sand that you need to have. And that got disrupted during the bust. And, and now we have this supply chain issue because of all the government COVID restrictions. And uh, so it's, it's uh, gonna be an impediment, I think, to this boom. Um, and, and how rapidly it progresses. And I think you will see probably, you know, uh, EIA and, and other experts who have been predicting a million barrel uh, a day increase in overall U.S. oil production. I think in the next month or two, you're going to see those uh, predictions kind of temper themselves a bit because we do have these limitations uh, on frac sand and just the supplies of equipment that, that are coming yeah into the various locations. So it's a big deal. And, uh, you know, that has so, global implications when the global market is short of supply. Exactly. So expect to pay more at the pump and heck everywhere else. Let's switch gears. Natural gas has always been on the lower end, much cheaper mm -hmm. than crude. What's going on there? It rose by $1 per MMBTU over the last week. So what yeah. are the factors behind, I mean, obviously, I think we probably have a supply issue, but what's causing the, the increase in natural gas? Yeah, you know, I think this frac sand issue has a bit of a role to play in that and the supply chain issue, because, you know, when we talk about the Permian Basin in terms of oil production, Eagle Ford Shell, same thing. Those are mm -hmm. enormous natural gas supply basins. The Permian Basin is the second biggest natural gas basin in the country behind only the Marcellus Shale. The Eagle Ford Shale is either the fourth or fifth largest natural gas supply basin in the country and has the, the potential to be much bigger than that. And uh, again, you know, when you can't get the wells drilled because of shortages of various supplies and the inability to source the equipment you need, um, 
it, it, be, it, it can really put a, a crimp in your ability to deliver that supply. And so the market sees that happening and boom, uh, the price jumps a dollar in a week in a, you know, the price was around 360 and it jumped to 460 in a week. And that's a, that's a 30% increase in the price in one week. And so it's, it's a big deal. And, uh, and there's another boom dynamics. that happens. Yeah. There's another boom that happens when that happens. And, and as I, you know, kind of let it out of the bag earlier, expect to pay more, but break yep. that down where, where, where our listeners understand they, you know, you hear crude pricing and uh, natural gas pricing, MMBTU, and you're like, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. And, and, yes, and it does. explain how is, I mean, yes, they're paying more at the pump, but kind of explain a little bit about the, the, evolution of how this is going to affect all of us and not in good ways. Right. Yeah. Since the first of the year where I, the place where I buy gas uh, on January, uh, first week in January, I paid 289 for regular. Uh, this week I paid 349 for regular. That's how it impacts you. Uh, and on natural gas, uh, well, you know, that's a big part of our uh, electric grid here in Texas, uh, 50% or more of our electricity is generated by natural gas. So as the price for natural gas gets higher, your utility bill is gonna get higher. The rate you pay for electricity will get higher and uh, the cost for heating your home because most homes are heated with natural gas or propane, which is also derived from oil. You know, as these prices for the raw commodities rise, uh, so do our prices that we consumers pay, you know, at the gas pump and, and for heating and, electricity at our homes it's it's uh just the way the market works and there's no nothing we can do about it right isn't it also the season where the refineries are shutting down as well and that will begin in march yeah and yeah they they uh, they tend to go down for a week or two for periodic maintenance and then there's also during uh in late march early april they have to change over from producing winter blends of gasoline to summer blends of gasoline. And you're going from, you know, producing five or six uh, blends of gasoline to dozens of different blends that have to be delivered all over the country. And that, that increases costs every year. And uh, so, yeah, you know, we're going to get hit from all sides on gasoline prices in the next few months. And it's going to, it's going to be really tough for, again, as we talk about Kim, uh, it hits the poorest among us the hardest because it's yep. a regressive tax and everybody pays the same price for it. And, uh, you know, it's going to be really rough. And this summer, I would imagine um, it's going to be a lot harder for families to take that drive with yeah. higher prices at the pump for vacations and things like that. So definitely going to have an impact on all of us. Uh, and as you said, the indigent or the poor are going to be affected the most in trying to see how they, you know, pay their utility bills, stay warm and manage their overall finances. Definitely a pickle that we're in, uh, in a way, and um, not yeah. probably a good one. David, that is all the time we have for this segment. When we return, we will be joined by Commissioner Jim Wright of the Texas Railroad Commission. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founder Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals 
or dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And now, David, it's time for us to welcome on our guest, the commissioner, one of the commissioners for the Texas Railroad uh, Agency, Jim Wright. Commissioner Wright, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Jim, thank you guys again for having me on. It's always exciting to participate in this, this broadcast you guys do. Really appreciate you having me. Well, we're glad to have you uh, come back and tell us a little bit about what's going on. Uh, for our listeners, most uh, people are unaware of the real responsibility that the Railroad Commission has and the importance of it. So let's begin with that. Can you tell us a little bit about the agency, the oversight, uh, and y'all's role as the three commissioners covering the state of Texas before we start talking a little bit about energy and what happened uh, last year when we had the snow gate, if you will? Yeah, you know, it, uh, I, I get asked often about the Railroad Commission of Texas and why our name continues to be that way. And I think a lot of people are not aware, you know, the Railroad Commission started out regulating railroads way back in the early uh, or the late 1800s. And, and up until 2007, we did a little bit with the railroads. But after 2007, we were redirected to oversee the oil and gas industry, pipeline, uranium, and uh, uh, production. So what, what, what our responsibility in that is to make sure that that, that is good for our, our economy, uh, number one, I think is, is one of our ma major goals. And, and number two is to make sure it's done safely and environmentally uh, appropriate. So, uh, you know, when people ask around Texas exactly what it is we do, you know, it's a big job because oil and gas, I think, is the foundation of our economy here in Texas. So, uh, you know, we 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 deal with a lot of issues when it comes to not only protecting that, but making sure that we have protection uh, in in regards to safety and, and environmental. Well, and and the agency does, Commissioner Wright, a really an excellent job of monitoring um, the operators and uh, the permitting process that re is required when, when, when you have energy being drilled in the state. Um, so I wanna get started by, you know, we had a big freeze last year. Uh, everybody remembers it, it was Valentine's Day, it was snowing, it shut down Texas primarily. Um, people went without power for days, even as long as a week 
or so. So I want to start uh, with a review of the that storm and how the natural gas industry performed. Um, I can't tell you that, you know, it was quite noticeable that uh, the media kind of predicted that natural gas would fail. And that kind of turned out to be not so accurate. So what is your uh, perception of how did the tech, how did Texas do during the freeze? How did we perform, especially in the area of natural gas? And can you tell our listeners what happened? Yeah, certainly, Kim. Uh, and that's, that's a good question. You know, I, I think for people to understand what happened last February during Winter Star Murray, it's important for people to understand the way our market conditions today are on, on having electricity available, not just for our homes, but for our ind- industry and everybody here in Texas. And today, Texas is set up to be uh, more of an open market. By what I mean with open open market, we have a lot of different generation sources for that electricity. Natural gas is one of those. Coal is another one. Nuclear is one. And then we have what we call renewables, which is wind and solar. All of those guys compete to sell their product into our electrical grid, which is what we rely on to to make sure the lights come on when we demand them to come on. The problem in, in our system today, and the problem that you saw in Warner, Warner Star Murray, was that's sort of a flawed system. And when I say flawed, I mean that the, the market is not even for each one of those to compete in. And, and I, I will tell you from a personal point of view, I think all power sources are important, but I do believe that all power sources, in order for that to be reliable and good for the consumer, need to be, need to be treated equally and fairly. And by that, what I mean is when you look at wind and solar, they actually get actually get a huge preferential treatment because of our concern of what fossil fuels is doing to our atmosphere. That started back in the in the 90s, to be to be actually honest about it, uh, when our concerns came out with coal initially. And uh, so the federal government uh, said that renewables would be a good way to help fight what what people think fossil fuels is doing to our atmosphere and they they wanted to promote that so much that they gave them huge tax subsidies and they gave them preferential treatment on the grid so when i say preferential treatment uh today renewables is guaranteed 20 percent of that electrical market so what does that mean uh, what that means is when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining and they are producing electricity, uh, we have to shut down reliable sources such as fossil fuel, natural gas, coal, and uranium to make sure that they achieve that 20% uh, guarantee that we've given them in the marketplace. So if you, if you think about what I just said, you'll start to realize that competition is, is very kind of one-sided there. So when, you're, when you want to look at reliability, it's hard to ask a, a fossil fuel generation source to, to make sure they have fuel available when peak demand from our electrical get, grid is needed. And, and, and you're probably asking yourself, well, why is that? Well, that, that's really kind of simple. If, if you put it in this perspective, they're not going to buy that fuel unless they know they can sell that electricity into the market. Otherwise, they would be losing money. And, and uh, uh, that's what a lot you saw during Winter Star Murray was the fact that there's not really firm commitments for natural gas to natural gas generators because those generators don't know exactly and how much they will be selling into the market. 
during the time during Winter Storm Uri, we needed all electricity sources to be working in order for us to avoid the blackouts that we experienced during that time. Yeah. The problem, uh -huh. the problem, the problem is this: is that uh, it, in the beginning, when when a guy says, "I'm going to build a natural gas pipeline that's coming from a natural gas field, and I'm going to service different customer markets. Those may be industrial. Some of them are electrical generators." And he and uh -huh. he goes to the industrial guys. Well, the industrial guys kind of have a, you know, an already already set way of knowing how much gas they're going to need day in and day out because they sell their commercial products based on whatever it is they need. Commissioner, right, hang on. We're going to go to a, I have to go to a hard break. When we come okay. back, we're going to pick this back up. You're listening to an oil patch radio show and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash TEAK and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm David Blackman, editor of Shell Magazine with my co-host Kim Bellotto, and we're here with uh, Texas Railroad Commissioner Jim Wright talking about uh, the Texas grid and, and uh, the freeze we had last year and the causes of it. And then we're also going to talk about how it performed in this most recent cold snap. Commissioner, I'd like to give you a, a chance to finish your answer about, about winter storm Uri, and then we'll talk about, uh, we'll move on to this year's freeze event. Yeah. I, it, I, again, I think it's very important for everyone to understand exactly what happened, but to understand that people need to understand what the electrical market conditions are and what we've yeah. set up to try to make sure that we had a cheap available electricity for Texas. These are things that started developing back in the nineties. And where I was going with that is way back in the beginning, when a guy wants to build a natural gas pipeline to sell that gas to different people, industry, people that generate electricity from natural gas and, and those types, you know, when he, when he got to the natural gas company, he said, hey, I'm building a pipeline and I need to know how big a pipeline I really need. You know, can you commit for that gas? Well, most of these guys, not knowing when they can sell that product into the grid, said, you know, we, we'd love to give you a firm contract, but we actually don't know when our product can be sold and how much. But we've, we've run the average, so we'd be happy to, to, to enter into firm contracts based on a percentage of that average, but we can't do that based on what our capacity to completely generate is knowing what the market conditions are today. So the guy goes back to his investors and he says, you know, I can't get a commitment from these guys on how much gas they're going to need. So I'm not going to put a 42 inch line in. I only need a 24 based on what I've been told. Yeah. So I don't think a lot of people realize that infrastructure is based on, on what they need for gas flow. If that, if that need increases, then the importance of more infrastructure growth becomes, becomes highly important. And right. we can talk about that later on, on where we are today. Right. And that's a big problem. I, mean, I agree with you. I, I, I think, and I've studied this market a lot over the last year, and, and we really are short of, of dispatchable natural gas capacity on this grid. 
and it's not getting built. And so that's a big, big issue. But I want to I want to go back to this this cold snap we just had. I mean, it wasn't really winter storm Uri comparable, but it was a pretty significant winter event. Um, and we didn't have any real issues for gas deliverability on the grid. It was dramatically improved. When you were here last year after last year's cold spell, you, you told us that the problem was largely one of communications between the industry, ERCOT, and the commission. And I wanted to give you a chance to talk about how those improvements we made last year really, really helped with this last cold snap. You know, it, uh, of course, after Winter Storm, Uri legislature refocused on, on what their priorities were, and that focus was to come up with rules to make sure that we had reliability in our electrical grid source. That bill ended up being something called Senate Bill 3. Right. And in Senate Bill 3, uh, for those that may not be aware, it, it requires natural gas electrical generation plants to winterize. It also requires us to come up with winterization rules for the natural gas producing side of that, including pipelines and storage, et cetera, that, that feed those, those plants. Um, you know, but I, but I think, I think that uh, for us to, to, to look at what, what we're doing this year, we need to understand, you know, again, what those market conditions are and, and under SB three, we have, we have started out, we, we've set up trying to identify who out there actually sells that specific molecule to a natural gas electrical generator. Yeah. So we, we've come up with critical des des designation forms to allow them to, to tell us, you know, are you, are you uh, supplying that or not? So that, that, that has come and gone. We received them forms. We were evaluating that. And I think that's helped a lot in what you saw this last winter, David. So we'll, we'll come back here in just a minute and finish that answer. And then we'll, we'll talk about uh, uh, other issues uh, impacting the grid that the commission is involved in. You're listening to All Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. SR Trident is a proud sponsor of State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Thursday, April 21st, starting at 1130 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Porta Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for the State of Energy Luncheon in Houston on April 21st, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. Sponsored in part by SR Trident. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 2407188 again 2102407188 And we're back you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio show our guest today is Commissioner Wright with the Texas Railroad Commission uh, Commissioner 
prior to the break, we were discussing communication that needs to happen. And, and so we hopefully have a better response if we should have severe uh, weather uh, here in Texas, especially pertaining to snow. But I want to ask you, what else remains for the industry to ensure that the to create a better grid stability? You, you talked about Senate Bill 3. And you talked about uh, the forms that are going to be required that are absolutely necessary for, for good communication among the agencies. But is there, what else can the industry do to ensure a better grid stability and our legislators as well? Well, I think one of the things, Kim, that, that we saw in this last uh, cold spell that we had just a couple of weeks ago was, was uh, the, the way that it performed. And it performed very well. I mean, I, I think we did it. We did an excellent job. And that was a result of SB3 kind of forcing the three different agencies. And when I, when I say three different, I'm talking about the Railroad Commission of Texas, the PUC and ERCOT to communicate with one another. You know, I've been in office now a little bit over a year. And um, I remember when I first came into office, nobody said hello to anybody. Nobody knew each other in that building. But PUC and us are in the same building. And I couldn't tell you who was at PUC back then uh, for, for, for the life of me. Today, we communicate so much that, that we shake hands every morning. I have meetings every every two weeks with Peter Lake. Our communication has improved immensely. And I think you, the result of that communication, how we work together and the plans that, that we've been talking about and have implemented was a, was, was a good showing here two weeks ago when that winter snap came through. And those are continuing to, to approve. Senate Bill 3 has required us to designate critical uh, gas supply sources. We've done that portion of it. The next phase of SB3 for the commission is to do mapping, to map those sources to try to figure out exactly where that gas is coming from and in order to give us a better idea what we have to put winterization rules on, which is the third part of it, to the, from where that gas is actually coming from and going to the plants. And then fourth, uh, there's something that I've been advocating for that I think is a, a really good solution to the future and the way the market conditions are today is storage. You know, I, I, uh, I think that we should go even a little bit further than what SB3 says by mandating some type of state managed natural gas storage. I think that we ought to take some of our rainy day funding, funding and make sure that we have some gas put back just in case we, we do happen to go through another extreme weather event. Yeah. Like we saw during work, Yuri. Um, you know, I, I think that if we had state managed gas storage, that it would encourage infrastructure growth. You know, I, I was asked by someone the other day, why is prices so high in Dallas? This was right before the storm hit the Austin area, and they're not so. You know, they're not as high in Houston. And I said, well, it's called free market, and in free market, there's a thing called supply and demand. So, Dallas happens to be really cold right now. They're demanding a lot more gas. You're going to see that uh, come all the way through Texas. But if you had that stuff in storage, I think that it would help uh, kind of regulate that pricing, knowing that that gas would be available at, a, you know, possibly a cheaper rate. And it would encourage infrastructure and pipe growth to make sure they had access to that stored gas. And I think it would help control the pricing of the market. I, I don't see anything bad coming from that. I think that would be, a you know, an additional good solution. But We'll see what the future brings. I, you know, right now we have a task in front of us with SB3, and those are all good things, and we're working really hard to make sure that gets done. I'm hoping the map process of this comes out by by uh, this spring. You know, we're, we've got a Texas uh, Energy Reliability Council right now that works on that diligently. 
don't you, uh, I mean, what is the deadline for having these regulations in place? Is it the end of the, the, the current fiscal year? I believe September uh, 3rd, if I'm, uh, don't, don't quote me on that, David, but I think September 3rd is when we, we've got to be finished up to, uh, with, with our, our portion of that. You know, yeah. POC has already implemented and, and uh, come out with what they've told plants to be winterized as far as winterization goes. Commissioner, we've had uh, some some recent stories, and I, I keep seeing them out on social media and 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 other places about these big, enormous wind towers and the, the 150 foot long blades uh, on these windmills, uh, increasingly being dumped in landfills. Um, I, I I is that really a sustainable solution? Given I mean the number of wind farms we have now, and there's projections that it's going to double in the next three years here in Texas. Is that really a sustainable solution? Do we have any regulations at the state level on the decommissioning and disposal of, of these big wind towers? You know, I think most of that is all exempt currently, David. I know of no regulations really uh, uh, for that. You know, I will say that most landfills, whether they're SWD, solid waste uh, disposal landfills or hazardous waste or any landfill, uh, does not want to take those blades because of the amount of room that they take up. And there's yeah. huge voids inside of them. So that's not really good for compaction when you're looking at trying to compact and maximize a landfill. Right. Uh, I can tell you firsthand because in my private business, we deal a little bit with trying to help uh, people cut those blades up. And, and all I can say is good luck because they are <laughs> difficult. So, you know, recycling them, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what that, uh, that answer would be. Yeah, I know they're recyclable, I, but uh, you know, it's obviously gonna be cheaper if, if a company uh, in taking those things down can just dispose of them in a landfill. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, but the, the Railroad Commission wouldn't have regulatory authority over that over that part of the business anyway, right? That would be else. We don't have anything to do with that. You know, and I'm not sure that anybody does yet. I think, like I said before, I think I think they're exempt from most of it. Yeah, so we'd, we'd have to have authorizing legislation. Yeah, uh, I think it would take legislation to get more involved. And I think that they ought to look at uh, those blades, especially being treated as construction and debris under the same regulations that TCEQ has, has for that. Uh, yeah. But, see what the future brings. I know that problem's not going to go away and we're going to continue magnitudes of them. If you go up through Sweetwater, you'll see tons of them laying on the ground. They haven't even put them in a landfill yet. Right. Yeah, no, I've seen that too. And it's, it's not attractive. Uh, Commissioner Wright, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we want to get on um, the election cycle and uh, some controversy that occurred, but we got to take a quick break. You're listening to an oil patch radio show and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. 
Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. SR Trident is a proud sponsor of State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Thursday, April 21st, starting at 1130 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for the State of Energy Luncheon in Houston on April 21st, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. Sponsored in part by SR Trident. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Commissioner Wright with the Texas Railroad Commission. Commissioner, we're in election season. Luckily, you don't have to run this year, but your colleague Wayne Christian is up for re-election this year, and he's got several opponents. And one of them made a lot of hay recently on social media, mainly, I think, about a, a well that had been improperly plugged about 70 years ago, as near as I can tell, out in West Texas. And uh, there were visuals, films of it, having uh, what looked to me like salt water coming up out of it and spraying out on the desert out there. I just wanted to, to give you uh, an opportunity to, to address that situation and what the commission's role would have been in, in getting that thing properly plugged. You know, first off, I'd like to say, David, that uh, I've had I've had a little over a year now to work with Wayne Christian, and I can tell you, I don't think I've ever met a finer individual in my life. Uh, He's a good I man. I can't uh-huh. encourage, encourage people more to go out and, and really look at who what he's done and who he is. I can tell you, he's an advocate for the oil and gas industry, probably probably the bigger than anyone else I know. Um, I think that uh, he, he's got some challenges through this election as, as you know, media has displayed oil and gas in general, but I can tell you that his heart is in the right place and, and uh, he, he really wants to do the right thing for Texas in, in all aspects. When you, when you ask about what happened out in, I believe that was Crane County to be yeah. specific um, on, the, on that particular well, it, it, and you look at the formation and the studies that we've done there, there's actually a salt formation that runs, there's a strata salt that runs through there. And some of those wells out in that area are old vertical wells that have been there forever. And unfortunately, whenever they were drilled through that salt formation and you have steel casing, salt naturally is probably going to <laughs> to a number on, on that steel casing. So, yeah. you know, when salt water hits cement, uh, cement and salt water don't usually make good bedfellows, <laughs> They seem to <laughs> roll a little bit. So I think what you're seeing in West Texas is a result of the high concentration of salt that was uh, coming coming from that was kind of from that salt formation because, you know, the water wells in the areas don't really exhibit that high, you know, they're, they're not in bad shape. I think that that is essentially that salt formation that that, that water was coming through. And there, there are some artesian zones in that area also mm-hmm. seem to be charging more. 
you know, they're, 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 they're getting more pressure from what I'm not really sure yet, but we're, we're in the middle of trying to research that. So as that artesian zone gets more, more charged and you have a salt formation, you, you're going to see probably more of these older wells that are going to be in jeopardy of, of doing just the same thing that you saw. You know, that's been one of my concerns in the seismic activity in West Texas in shallow injection is, you know, is that going to start harming uh, the older plugs that we have in wells out there as we increase pressure in those zones? Right. And those wells, those plugs actually failing on us. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we're doing in, as far as research to make sure that we're handling that. And, I, you know, I think since all this began, since I've come to office, I've encouraged and, and, uh, and keep encouraging that we start finding other sources for produced water, not just injection in the ground and by other sources, using it for refracts. Right. And, and, and in addition, in West Texas especially, coming up with a way that we could eventually use this to irrigate. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different types of technologies that are out there for recycling that, that are really promising. Let's stay on West Texas, though, and let's uh, discuss the uh, frac sand availability in Permian Basin. Does the commission have anything to do with that? or Because um, it's going to limit drilling, a drilling boom that we're having right now with prices. But are, do you guys have any oversight or have any ideas on how to handle that? with the shortage of frac sand? You know, I think I think the shortage that we're seeing today, Kim, is just a result of that that production itself has been down. So a lot of those plants, uh, you know, were, were forced to close up because we just did not have that much drilling occurring. As price, as price of uh, oil is going up, of course, uh, drilling production is going to continue to increase. And I think that's the demand that, that, uh, that we're seeing today, you know, it's not something that we've looked at. In fact, it just came to my attention about a week ago that we we may be faced with some shortages in frac sand coming up here in the future. But but I can tell you, knowing the oil and gas industry, I think we'll adapt quickly. You'll see more of those plants opening, and and uh, I think that uh, they'll they'll definitely be a, that'll be available. You know what I what I'm concerned more about today, I think, and 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 more than frac sand is the supply the supply chain that we're having to deal with. And I think, I think we're in trouble right now as far as that is concerned. And that's, that's causing a lot of these prices to skyrocket. Yeah. I think until, until we mandate that people go back to work and we get some control on this COVID thing, we're going to be faced with those issues. And I, you know, I, I pray every night that COVID becomes a thing of the past and we get back to some normalcy that we can deal with so that pricing can get controlled. Yeah, I think one aspect, Commissioner, see if you agree with this, that a lot of people just aren't aware of about the oil and gas business is the enormous role that long haul trucking plays in the supply chain for this industry. And when you have this shortage that's been artificially created by policymakers uh, of long haul truckers uh, getting getting these containers out of ports and, and through the supply chain process, that has a big impact on on really every industry, every major industry. But the, the oil and gas industry has just got enormous demand for long haul truckers, right? And that's that's really a pretty big part well, of that you, impact, isn't it? You're, you're dead on, David. I'm mean, you know this is a trickle effect that we we're we're experiencing now, and and supply right now is is very very crucial. You know, just this morning I'm in Corpus today, so I'm at my personal business. I had one of our guys walk in and say. 
I need uh, motor mounts for one of our trucks. I can't find a motor mount in the United States. I'm three weeks out from one being delivered. So, you know, yeah. those, those are things that are, that are really hurting. And, and I think that's what's causing the price that you're seeing today in all aspects that's increasing, you know, but it might, my biggest concern today is, you know, how do we control, how do we, how do we make things relevant for, for a guy that's working a normal job to afford the commodity that he needs to survive? And so, you know, that's, that's been heavy on my mind, certainly. Yeah. Well, we've, we've also got this drilling boom now coming up. We had a, I guess the Baker Hughes rig, uh, rig count report last week said that the rig count jumped up by 19 rigs uh, across the country. And I think in Texas, you know, we tend to talk about the Permian Basin, but but really, we're seeing increases all over the state, aren't we? No, it's exciting. Yes, you know, it, uh, gas, uh, natural gas, and oil both are are coming up in pricing. You know, again, I think I think we we need to be careful not to tip that scale. I think that's what invites competition into the market, and then you see these crashes that occur, and and that creates a the confidence from an investor where it's not very high. And, you know, it's just there's a lot of bad things that happen with that. So I think it's imperative. And I, and I, I think you are seeing that the oil and gas industry is trying to control that. And hopefully the prices start going backwards as people, more people go start going back to work. Commissioner Wright, it was a pleasure having you on the show. And thank you for giving us an update on what's happening at the Railroad Commission. And we look forward to having you back on soon. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.